Awesome. It is really great to have Marty and the guys here with us and uh, for us to be able to partner with them and to minister with them. As I'm listening to those stories, right, I'm looking, I'm sitting there going, there's miracles right there. There's miracles right in front of us. The fact that Jesus changes lives, okay? This is, too many times we think of this spiritual experience as just like a metaphor, like it's just merely metaphor, but all we're trying to do is describe in our very limited senses the miracles that happen, right? The dead are raised to life in Jesus. Like that's the reality of their salvation and your salvation. It might not feel like as dramatic as maybe some of the stories, but it is. But it is. You were once dead. And if you were to die physically, you would be dead for all of eternity, lost, separated from God, but because of Jesus. But because of Jesus, he raises the dead to life. You are a new creature if you placed your faith in him. That's a miracle. Miracles all around us. And so today we're going to look at a miracle in the book of John, John chapter 5. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way, the series called The Word, the look at the book of John. Josh preached last week on the healing of the official son in John chapter 4. And uh, he started by looking at some of the ways that the people have been viewing Jesus in the book of John. You've seen it in different ways. He actually pointed to Nicodemus quite a bit in John chapter 3, right? He's kind of searching. He's kind of looking. He's inquisitive about Jesus. He's heard and seen some of the things that he's done. He knows that Jesus is gaining a crowd. Maybe he heard about this water being turned to wine back in Canaan. Like, he's inquisitive. He wants to know more. And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be made new, right? And he doesn't get it. He's searching, he's inquisitive, he doesn't get it. He's like, wait, the, the womb, I gotta get back? How do you climb back in the womb? It doesn't work. But he's saying, your spirit must be born of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again. Do not marvel. Don't wonder that I say that you must be born again. When you look at John chapter 4, right? You see some of the people in John chapter 4. You have these, uh, they're, they're kind of skeptics. They're, they're bewildered. You have in John chapter 4, those who are following Jesus because they saw the signs that he did, right? The looky-loos. And they're following after him because they've seen the miracles and they're trying to get more, trying to find out more. But you'll see over here, over the next few chapters, there's a shift in some of the attitudes towards Jesus. It's a little less inquisitive, it's a little less intrigue, and it's moving to now more of outrage and even opposition over what Christ is doing, and it's particularly coming from the religious Jews. It seems that it's becoming more polarizing as well. Those who embrace him, those who are broken, those who are desperate, those who are humble, and those who are haughty and self-righteous and religious. And have you ever noticed that Jesus does things, and there's so often, like he'll do something in this world, in this natural realm, but there's so often a deeper, spiritual, eternal concept and truth that he's trying to convey through this natural realm and these natural resources, 
right? Jesus does things, but it's not just the thing. He's doing something much deeper than just what's on the surface. It's because when you look back at John chapter 1, you see that the eternal word, right, in the beginning was the word. He's with God. He was God in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning, and Jesus, God, put on flesh and injected himself into this natural realm. The supernatural, the holy supernatural, injects himself into this natural, broken, sin-filled realm to show us spiritual things. To not just fix broken situations, but to fix broken souls. To fix a broken relationship between me and you and between us and the Creator God. Because of sin, there is a relationship that is broken and severed that you and I could never, ever repair. But thanks be to God, the Word, the eternal Word, put on flesh, came down and dwelt among us. And that holy God lived a sinless life that becomes our righteousness. And he died a brutal death and shed his beautiful blood that becomes our atonement that anyone who puts their faith in him should not perish but have eternal life to live forever miracles so jesus does stuff in this realm in this world in these stories but even in them even in the miracles there is a deeper spiritual truth that comes to light he does things in the physical realm these miracles and he was always doing something deeper, like he's showing that through these miracles, he's declaring that he is the Savior. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Samaritans, right? And the Samaritans and the Jews, they have no dealings with each other. Samaritans were viewed as those tainted, dirty half-breeds, right? We went back to the 700 years before. There was this conflict, there was this thing, and, and it just has carried with them all the way, but Jesus is breaking all those barriers, and he steps into it. And what we see is that those Samaritans, after the testi testimony of the woman, and after Jesus stays with them for two days, the Samaritans look at him and he's like, we believe now, not just because of the testimony of the woman, but because we heard for ourselves, and they call him the Savior of the world. These tainted, half-breed Samaritans, they see that he is Savior. And all the physical things he does, all these miracles that he does, he's declaring himself to be redeemer. He's declaring himself to be healer. And like I said, not just of a broken body, not just of a broken situation riddled with, with sin and self-indulgence and pride and, and, and lust and drug abuse or whatever it might be, but to heal that broken relationship between us and our creator God. Physical healing that we're going to read about today isn't just about the physical healing. It's not just about the body. It's about something deeper. It's about the soul of mankind. When you read stories in the Bible about the blind receiving their sight, understand that that is a spiritual concept that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and all of a sudden the gospel is no longer foolishness, that is a miracle of God. When you read stories about Jesus 
reaching out and touching the leper, those who were so unclean that they were ostracized, that they were forced to live outside of society, that they were so unclean and untouchable, but yet Jesus in his mercy touches them. That that is a spiritual picture of you and me. So unclean, so unapproachable that the God who dwells in unapproachable light, that we in our uncleanness, in our leprosy, could not approach that God but Jesus. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, as he pursues the woman at the well, as he pursues this man that's laying by this pool, as we're going to read in a second, he approaches us. He touches us and makes us clean. And as I've said, even death, as he raises, we're going to read over the next couple of months that he's going to raise people from the dead, literally, in your heart, in my heart, for those who've placed their faith in Jesus, we're watching, we're seeing the same miracle. So let's read our text together. John chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, turn there. Starting in verse 1, we'll read the first 18 verses together. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, we don't know what this feast is, okay? I've done some research this week. I tried to figure out which one it was to see if we could line it up in some calendar. And there's some debate, Feast of Tabernacles, maybe it's Passover. We don't really know what it was. John names other ones, but he doesn't name this one. Uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. That literally means house of mercy, okay? Which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, Blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm going in, another one steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Okay, here we go. Here come the Jews. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Goodness gracious. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So he's like blaming Jesus. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him. Okay, he finds this man, this, this lame man. Found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you are well, exclamation point. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. Verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Before we do anything else, let's pray uh, one more time this morning. Father, again, we come to you humbly before your word. God, we humble ourselves before you, your word, and your Holy Spirit. Please open our eyes to see. Please 
Help us to walk in the holiness that we are called to by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to be your church, to simply be your church to the glory of your name, to hear your word and to do your word, to hear your word, to be transformed by your Holy Spirit and then to declare it, whether it be down in the city of Milwaukee or whether it be in our neighborhoods, wherever we find ourselves, God, let us be your church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Who has an ESV with them? ESV, NIV, something like that. Okay, somebody, uh, Dan, since, since uh, I know you're not afraid, I'm going to call on you. Uh, read for me in the ESV verse 4 of what we just read today. Verse 4. You have an ESV? That's three. Oh, so maybe you should be laying by the pool. Oh, I'm just, bad joke. That was horrible. Man. Uh, that jerk. Um, did you notice something there? You got your ESV? It's numbered one, two, three, five. Weird, right? Okay, so I have to explain this because if you noticed it, I didn't want you to be kind of caught up and like distracted all during the sermon today, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you notice it, like I said, I don't want you to be distracted by it. If you've got an ESV, I tricked you, Dan. I totally set you up. Read verse 4. There is no verse 4. Um, there's no verse 4 in the ESV or the NIV and a lot of different translations, and it's not there because it's not in the best and earliest manuscripts, actually. If you have a King James Version, verse 4 is there, and verse 4 reads something uh, like this. It says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after, troubling, uh, after the troubling the water stepped in, was made whole whatsoever disease he had. Okay, So basically brings up that there was this, there was this thought or this legend. Some, some scholars say a legend. Some people say that it was true, whatever it was. But there was this thought that the angel stirred the water. And in the earliest manuscripts, that verse wasn't there. And what a lot of scholars think that that was maybe a margin note at some copyist. So let, let me just say this. Our text, this Bible that you hold in your hands, is one of the most reliable historical documents in the world. There are so many thousands of manuscripts, hand written manuscripts and fragrance of manuscripts that this thing is so confirmed over and over and over and over again. There are a lot of scholars like it is embarrassing when you put the Bible up against other ancient texts that are accepted, that are received, and, and yet there's so um, little that we know about them and have about them. But the Bible, we have so many ancient manuscripts uh, over and over and over again. In the earliest ones, that verse was not found there, but some people think that one of the copyists maybe had a note in the side that trying to maybe explain verse 7 when he says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, trying to maybe give some insight into that, but then somehow along the ways, maybe it worked its way into the text and uh, versions like the King James Version included it in there. But because it's not... It's not in a lot of our text here this morning. It doesn't have any significant bearing on the story 
or even on any of the, the more importantly, more the, the, the doctrines within this story. When I look at this, when I look at this story, there's a mystery about it. Because Jesus walks to this pool and there is a multitude of, of broken people around him. Lame, paralyzed, uh, I forget exactly how it's, it's all described in our text, but, but there are just a multitude of people there, invalids, he calls it in the SV. And apparently, he walks past a bunch of them. And he centers in on this one guy, and it begs the question, why does Jesus heal this guy? Why did he choose to heal this one? You ever been struggling with something? Maybe a sickness? <laughs> uh, maybe, okay, everybody raise your hand. Um, maybe a sickness? Maybe something that you've been bringing to Jesus for a long time, and you're sitting there going, God, why don't you just heal me? Some frustration around that, right? And then all of a sudden, somebody else prays, and all of a sudden, you see God answer that prayer. And you're like, oh, what the heck? And then you read passages of Scripture where, where Jesus heals somebody, and he says, go, your faith has made you well. And you've maybe heard preachers say, well, you got to have faith, brother. you just got to have more faith. You're not healed because you, got, you don't have enough faith. Maybe you've even had some preachers look at you and go, you're not healed because you got sin in your life. You've got to show me in Scripture where that lies. You have to show me in Scripture where that's the truth. Because God heals, right? Amen? God heals. And sometimes he says, go, your faith has made you well. But look at this story today. What did this man do? This man didn't even know who Jesus was even after Jesus touched him. It seems that this healing comes simply out of the nature of Jesus. Out of his glory, out of his love, out of his compassion for the man. It didn't come out of his ask. He didn't even ask to be healed. He said, I got nobody to put me in the water when it's stirred. It didn't come out of the man's righteousness, it seems. It didn't come out of the man's faith. It seems to simply hinge on Christ and his compassion and his grace. It seems to hinge on his love and his mission, and that's simply it. See, we serve a God who's compassionate. We serve a God who pursues us. We serve a God who seeks us out and finds us, who talks with us and who meets our needs. Maybe you've wrestled for a long time in a situation where you need a touch from God. Maybe you've been coming to him and you've been coming to him and you've been coming to him and maybe you're going, what's wrong with me? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with my faith. Maybe I, and you know what? We all need to grow in our faith. We all need to grow in our trust of Jesus. I will, I will say this, when it comes to faith and healing, a lot of times we, we like to talk in terms of, you know, I got to have faith for that healing. Let's center that faith a little bit more on the healer, okay? Let's grow in our faith of the healer, our understanding and our trust of the healer. And there are times, like he walked past a whole multitude of people right here, and he chose this one. There's a mystery about the sovereignty of our God, and when he chooses, and how he chooses, and how faith all plays into that.
but when he chooses to heal. And I just want to encourage you, if maybe you've been asking of God for a long time about a particular thing, please do not be frustrated. Please do not grow weary. Continue to go to the one who made you. Continue to go to the one who seeks you out, who wants more than anything just to be with you and for you to be with him. I look at some of those times in my life where I've been burdened and I've been struggling and how it's put me on my knees before my God. That in and of itself is a huge blessing. Sometimes without that nagging thing in my life, I wouldn't spend that time on my knees before my holy God. When everything's cool, man, I get really, I get like the Israelites. Things are awesome and I get wandering off into other things and all of a sudden I find myself maybe serving other gods, chasing other things, chasing this world. Everything's easy, everything's cool, but sometimes there's that tension and that struggle, the desire for healing that keeps me humble and on my knees before my God, and that is precious. But I do know this, we have a God who's compassionate. He doesn't just see your struggle and shrug his shoulders. He's compassionate, he's loving, and he's caring. And he does work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And a lot of times we go, ah, God, this isn't good, but who am I to say that it's good when it's him working and willing for his good purpose and his glory? I want to get to the point in my life where I go, God, your glory above all else. I don't want to just submit to your will. I want to love your will, even if it means my detriment. That's a weird thing, particularly in our affluent American culture that we live in. Like, it's, it's comfort, man. It's, it's real comfortable all around here. And if I got to go, God, whatever it might be, it's all on the table for you. You save me, you redeem me, you purchase me. I'm yours. Work your will through me. Accomplish your goodwill through me if it means to my detriment, if it means to my uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness, whatever it means, Lord, work because I want to love your will. What a bold prayer. So the Lord has purpose in the afflictions to display his works. The thing I noticed through our text today is that Jesus isn't into the crowds, he's into individuals. He meets with individuals. Everybody wants a crowd nowadays, right? Everybody wants influence. Everybody wants the audience. And apparently there's big money in it. There's things like called influencers, social media influencers. There's YouTube stars. I read a list of um, YouTube stars uh, from Forbes, an uh, article in Forbes. And um, the number one YouTube star, I think, was like a nine-year-old. And they made 29 point, he made $29.5 million in 2020. A, a nine-year-old. Because of his audience. Because he had people watch him. People follow him. And then people are like, well, we want your audience too, so we're going to advertise in you. Jesus doesn't seem to care about the crowds. Actually, when... The crowd stirs up after he heals the guy, he withdraws and retreats. 
I think about pastors, I think about church leaders, I think about church ministries, right, that want to grow and gain a name for themselves, and, and unfortunately, it can get real messy real quick. There's this difference, there's a, there's a thing here where you want the ministry to flourish and to grow so that you have the resources to do the things that God has called you to do. But there's danger with an audience. When I look with Jesus, he retreats from the crowds and he meets with the one. He retreats from the commotion and he seeks out the one. John chapter 5, verse 13, our text again, it says this. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as the crowd was in the place. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Does that verse make you nervous at all? Like he heals the guy and then he meets up with him later, like intentionally, like finds him in the temple and he's like, hey, see, you're well. Those legs are working pretty good now, aren't they? See, you sin no more. Sin no more so that nothing else happens to you. Nothing bad happens to you. Feels a little parental, doesn't it? Like it feels like, knock it off or I'm really going to give it to you. I healed your legs, so stop sinning or I'm going to give you cancer. (laughs) Right? Doesn't it feel that way a little bit? Like for years, I think I read this verse wrong. I read it with that in mind. I think back to John, or we'll get there in a couple weeks, uh, John chapter 9. The man who was born blind and his disciples asked him, he says, who sinned? Why? Like, is him or his parents? Why is he afflicted? Why is he blind? And Jesus says, neither but it's so that the works of God might be displayed in him, right? And so Jesus looks at him, he finds this man, and he says, hey, you're well. Go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. And unfortunately, in the past, I've read that a little bit, almost like a threat, like, hey, you're better now, better straighten up. You've got sin in the world. It's here, it's all around us, and we see the effects all around us, and we feel the effects of sin personally. But as I've said before, it's not some like Christian karma where like I'm going to do good and God's going to, God's God's, like simply going to reward me for it. And he does, he totally does. But when I do bad, it's not like he's going to like put his thumb on my neck and smush me. He beckons me and calls me back to him. God does discipline his children, right? He allows afflictions. He allows things to happen sometimes for our sanctification and our growth in him. But when I read this for so many years, I think I had it a little bit skewed. So then what does it mean? Stop sinning so that nothing worse may happen to you. What is the worst that could happen to someone? That you could lose your soul. That you could lose your soul. Think about Mark chapter 8, right? Whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up your cross, follow me. And it says in verse 36, for whoever, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What would it profit a man if you were to gain use of your legs yet perish for all of eternity? He's working and willing for his eternal glory and he's working and willing in this man for God's eternal glory. God works and wills in your life 
for his eternal glory. See, God cares about our physical state, yes. God cares about our physical needs. He cares about our sickness and our pain and our hurt. And just as he sought out this man who had been crippled for 38 years, he cares about you and your afflictions, make no mistake. Make no mistake, please hear me. If you're in this place, like I said, if you've been afflicted, if you've been carrying a burden with you for a long time, I don't want to dismiss that. And I, I, I want you to know that God cares about you in your physical state. But as I said, Jesus is doing stuff in this realm. He's meeting needs and he heals broken bodies and he heals uh, afflictions and disease. He heals. He is a God who heals. But when I look at Jesus and his mission, it was always about something one notch deeper. And you know why I know that? Because the official son last week, when Josh preached on that, the official son who was healed, he's dead. The official son is dead. He's not with us any longer. The man whose legs were healed is dead. He's not here any longer. Lazarus, come forth out of the tomb, only to die a few years later. It's not about our comfort now. It's about an eternal rest. Right? The healing and hope that Jesus brings in all of your lives. Man, some of you in this room have amazing stories of God healing your body. Praise God. Awesome. For a few more years, you're going to keep on ticking. That broken body, like, I, seriously, this morning, the guys, the guys in the band prayed for me because I was downstairs working on my sermon, finishing up my sermon and printing my sermon, and I got up from the chair, and I, like, something was pinched in my back, and I couldn't breathe deeply. That's how broken these bodies are. That's what it means to be middle-aged, apparently. <laughs> it's not Jesus works and wills, and it's not about our comfort now. It's for an eternal rest. Sometimes he does heal now, even miraculously. Like I said, I think there are many stories in this room. But it's a glimpse of his ultimate healing. It's a picture of our ultimate and eternal restoration in him. I was talking with Dan yesterday. Jesus had a message of self-denial. And when you think about that, on the, like, just Think about Jesus coming into the world. Like, if, if you were to preach that message completely, like, that's not super enticing. Like, people are not going to just, like, okay, sure, yeah, deny, like, end myself and just follow Jesus. Like, all my pursuits, all my ambitions. It's not enticing. But his disciples followed wholeheartedly because they saw the majesty and the glory of the creator God who put on flesh and dwelt among them. And you look at the disciples, and they knew the surpassing worth that was Jesus. They all were afflicted. They all met their demise in horrific ways because of their relationship with Jesus. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified. Thomas, ran through with spears. 
Paul, who served Christ better than anybody in this room, especially me, met his demise in horrible ways. And even in that, before he was, before he was martyred, he, he recounts some of his afflictions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's talking about others here. He says, verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more, exclamation point. I worked harder, been put into prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again, five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Okay, five different times he was whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've uh, faced dangers in cities and in deserts and on seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights and have been hungry, thirsty, and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches who is weak without my feelings of weakness, who led astray and I do not burn with anger. It sounds pretty awesome, right? To follow Jesus. Life of comfort and ease. But Paul saw the compassion of Christ. Not just to fix the circumstance here, but the compassion to save his soul. When he's on the road to Damascus and he hears the voice from heaven, why are you persecuting me? He saw the eternal value of Jesus, his Savior. I want Paul's attitude. Philippians 3, verse 8. You see Paul's attitude despite everything that he faced in his life. It says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of everything and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from, from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the powers of, of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is not about comfort now, but it's about eternal rest. When he graciously in his compassion and mercy for us, meets us in our afflictions. When he comes down and heals us and meets our needs, let us rejoice. Let us be glad that we serve a God who is gracious and meets those needs, but even more than that, let us rejoice and be glad that we see the beautiful eternal picture of restoration in those moments that he meets our needs. Let us rejoice and be glad because we have a blessed hope waiting ahead of us that is in Christ Jesus. As I started this morning, Jesus was always doing something 
one tick deeper than on the surface. As we go to a time of prayer, I want to pray in a couple different realms, a couple different ways. First off, if you have a physical need, let's pray. Let's pray for that need. Let's pray for that affliction. Let's pray whatever it might be. Let's ask our merciful, compassionate God to meet that need. If you're struggling with sin, right? The the man who was healed, Jesus finds him later and he says, listen, go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you, right? Go and live and walk in the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ because if you don't, what happens is when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we don't just lose our legs or our health or our life, but we lose our souls. If you're struggling with sin, ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to break that in you today. It's my prayer that our eyes would be open. As the band comes and they play, before we start singing, um, I'd like for us to just pray together. Um, I, if you're in your row with some people that you know, maybe you could break up and just pray. Pray for each other. Share your needs with each other. Um, I, I just want us to spend some time in prayer together. If you have a need, pray for it. If you just need God's Spirit alive in your heart and life, maybe you're not in Jesus. Maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe you haven't put your faith in Christ. And today you're just like, you know what? I need prayer. I need prayer for that. And then once the band starts playing, once we start singing together, um, I'm going to have the prayer team and and Chris and some of the other folks uh, move to that back corner if you'd like someone to lay hands on you and pray with you. If you'd like maybe uh, an elder to pray with you, that'll be available this morning as well. But let's just take a minute as they just kind of have some music in the background. Let's just kind of break up in our rows here and let's just pray with one another for a few minutes and then uh, let's respond in, in worship as well. Father, again, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your compassion. I thank you that you are near. God, as we come to you today, hear our prayers. And God, let us see with spiritual eyes the eternal worth of knowing Christ Jesus and all that you're doing in us. God, let us see the eternal worth of some of the situations we find ourselves in. To not be dismayed, to not be overcome, but God, to tarry, to rejoice good work in us and through us. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together.